Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, October 29th. We begin with our inaugural Friday chat with newly elected Mayor Jyoti Gondek. We asked Mayor Gondek about the whirlwind of activity at City Hall this week, the first week of work for Calgary's new City Council, and her views on a topic which has been much talked about, her stance on Alberta's oil and gas industry. Next, our own Dave McIver looks at the supply chain issues facing North America as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Dave will focus on the impact the issues might have on the upcoming Christmas shopping season. Then we head stateside for our weekly conversation with Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. We asked Jackson about the role the U.S. will play at the International Climate Change Conference in Europe and discussed the hurdles being faced by President Joe Biden on getting the green light for his domestic package to support infrastructure and social spending. And finally, do you believe in ghosts? Well, Jeff Richards does. Jeff is a cast member on the popular APTN show, The Other Side. Jeff talks about his personal ghost story the night he spent at Calgary's own Prince House at Heritage Park. It's spooktacular. Well, on Monday, she stepped into the top job at City Hall. And after a busy first week on the job, Mayor Jyoti Gondek joins us this morning. Good morning to you, Mayor Gondek. How are you? I am just peachy keen. Good morning to you. We'll start off with the toughest question of all. Your favorite Halloween candy. What is it? Banana mojos. Mojos? Yeah, the banana ones. Okay, that's weird that we haven't had anybody text that in yet. I'm thinking that you're going to get all of those that are in the kids' bags because they're not going to want them. They're not chocolate bars, let's face it. I don't think they make them anymore because remember, <laughs> I'm remembering Halloween from 1977. Fair enough. Okay, well, watch for the mojos. Uh, other than that, how was your first week in the city's top job? Let's talk about it. What, was it all you thought it would be? Was it different? How did it shape up for you? You know, it was incredibly rewarding to have come out of a very long campaign and be trusted with this type of a position in service of Calgarians. It was an absolute honor to be sworn in on Monday and to join my colleagues in chambers. We are all just elated that we get to do this. Excellent. Excellent stuff. And uh, again, congratulations. You know, on the Fridays when we have the opportunity to have the mayor on, and again, we appreciate you taking the time and continuing the tradition. It's a chance to tackle issues and also to, to, to push rumors out of the side. I want to get right to this, uh, Mayor Gondek, and that is we've seen on the text line and we've seen bits and pieces on social media that says our new mayor does not like oil and gas, and she's against the oil and gas industry. So here it is, your opportunity to answer people who have said something of that nature. It's a very strange dichotomy that people draw when you say that there is a climate emergency and they immediately leap to your anti-oil and gas. Mm. Um, I am no such thing. I have supported our energy industry for many, many years. My master's thesis in 2003 was, in fact, uh, advocating for the fact that corporate social responsibility is a thing. It was a study done on an energy company in Calgary. I built a 12-year consulting practice around the good work they had done. What I am a little disappointed in is that we keep focusing on outputs instead of focusing on our leadership in evolving energy production processes. That was the point. Let's be the leaders and the center of excellence that demonstrates innovation and technology can help us decarbonize and create more sustainable energy production. 
I mean, even even the energy industry itself acknowledges climate change. So I'm glad you've addressed that. Thank you very much for doing that. Let's talk about this. I, I posted on social media that uh, I re or shared something that Mayor Nenshi had posted. He left an envelope for you when he left the top job. Can you tell us what was in it and what advice he gave you? It was a lovely handwritten note to me just to remind me of all the good work we had done together as a council, just um, some thoughts from him on the things that we needed to carry on with, and actually just very dear and sweet in terms of making sure that I always make time for my family. It was a lovely, heartfelt note. Nice. Let's, let's talk about, you know, moving ahead. The team is together in, in one facility. We're talking City Hall, and I'm not sure how much you're still doing, you know, via Skype or Zoom or whatever have you, but uh, technically the team is together. What's on the top of the agenda right now for City Council? The orientation sessions have been well attended and very well received. Um, and yesterday we had a different process where we went out to some of our civic facilities to engage with the people that work there and to really understand the significance of the operations. And I think it's important to do something like that because the budgets that we'll be setting coming up, you know, in a little while here really depend on members of council understanding how operations work. So it was a welcome departure from sitting in a seat in city hall and actually going out and engaging with people who do good work. Mayor, can we get you to hang on for 30 seconds or so, bring you back in after a couple of commercials? We have a few more questions for you and certainly one from the text line again that we hear quite often. Can you hang on for a couple? I can. Perfect. We'll be right back with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Back with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Mayor, here's another one that we hear on the text line too. And I'm, you know, these are a few people obviously who were not uh, voting for you in the election because they're they're on you about these two particular things, the, the not liking the oil and gas industry, which you have addressed, thank you. And this one about declaring an energy emergency. So what does that mean? Why did you say that? People say you should have told them that when you were running for the top job. I think that people that didn't want to vote for me probably didn't pay a lot of attention to mm-hmm. my platform. So I have been talking about climate and environment uh, since I started the run in January. I have made it clear, I believe in a couple of debates even, that it would be important to declare a climate emergency as a council so we can be taken seriously by investment houses and people who want to flow capital to cities that are doing something about the climate. So that's my position, I guess, maybe, you know, if you didn't like me, then you might grow to like me now. We got to ask you this because it's important. Uh, Sunday is a big day. It's the 31st of October. And last I checked, Halloween will be held the, on the October 31st. I believe you're correct, Andy. Uh, your thoughts on, on Halloween for the kids and the families in the city of Calgary this year, uh, your worship, as far as should we go and, and have a regular Halloween? Oh, you know what? As somebody that absolutely adores Halloween, I'm so torn about what we should do. And I would say to the folks that adapted last year to how we should do this, let's keep those ideas in mind. I think there's a lot of um, people who will be uncomfortable with kids coming to the door, but they still want to participate. So let's think about putting out those tables with candies. You can sit inside and supervise and make sure no one's doing anything they shouldn't be doing. But, you know, let's try to get the kids out there in their costumes enjoying themselves it's a great time of year and we can do it safely we did it last year let's do that again you know what uh, mayor good idea great words we should follow that advice for sure and i uh, just wanted to let you know we had one texter agree with you on the mojos 
They are better oh, than the win. right. You've got one. Per, I think you've <laughs> you've got one re one person who's going to vote for you and we run next time in the next municipal election for sure. No, I'm just kidding you. But Mojo's. Hey, obviously it's a, a niche thing. They don't make it anymore. If anyone can find them, send them to Mayor uh, Jody Gondek. <laughs> this is her favorite Halloween candy. I think oh. we're ready. We're ready for Sunday. I think we are. Excellent. Thank you so much. We're ready for you to join us weekly. Uh, hopefully, this continues to be a thing that we can do. So, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thanks for having me and have a great weekend, everyone. Happy Halloween. Appreciate it. Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. We have been hearing a lot about supply chain issues of late. So our very own Dave McIver took a deep dive into the issue to find out why and what that means for retailers and consumers as we approach the holiday shopping season. The holiday shopping season is fast approaching, and to some, it's already started. However, with demand returning to pre-COVID levels on products and some businesses and manufacturers struggling to find labor, there are issues with the supply chain that could make things a bit more stressful for some shoppers this year. Jason Childs is an associate professor of economics at the University of Regina. He explains why the supply chain, or supply web, is struggling to meet demand. So first of all, I think supply chain's probably not the best image to have in your mind. It's more of a web. You know, when you think of a standard product like a, an electronic device, a phone, you know, there might be 100 components in there, but each of those components has uh, com- sub-components within it. And so at each stage of production, you're seeing a bunch of different components from different countries and different companies come together to make each you know, thing that input that goes into that phone. So you've got this really complex web of interconnections and cooperation, really, that leads to a lot of the products we consume. So when some part of that web fails, you're going to see it turning up in, well, this input isn't available or this chip or this whatever isn't available. And now I've got to find somebody else to provide it or I've got to do without it. And that's what we're seeing now to to a fair degree is you're seeing, you know, we had an interruption in production of, say, computer chips. Well, that, you know, stalled the launch of the Tesla Cybertruck. It's also had an impact on inventories and auto lots. It's, you know, it's had all these different impacts throughout the system. And that's happening over and over and over again. So we are seeing these sort of interruptions, delays um, as we shut down parts of the global economy to try and get ahead of COVID a little bit. And now we're trying to ramp back up. It's not that demand has dramatically jump from where it was prior to COVID instead of getting back towards that. Mm. I don't think we're there yet. When I when I look at the data, I don't see a full return to the level of activity outside the household that we were seeing in 2019, 2018. You're 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 not seeing people return to that workforce. And this is a this is a known problem. The longer someone spends out of the labor force, the more difficult it is for them to return to the labor force. What does that mean for retailers? Michelle Wasilishin is the spokesperson for the Retail Council of Canada. Retailers are also looking at increased costs from transportation, as you've kind of alluded to, uh, delays in getting those containers to the ports and from the port to the stores. Um, those are all added complexities that retailers have been dealing with now, really since the start of the pandemic. They've been planning for this. Um, there have been some shifts and unusual demand patterns with consumer behavior that they've also have, have had excuse me, grapple with. Uh, along with worker shortages. So there's really a whole host of issues taking place right now. 
do we think that you know our, our, our retailers, small, medium, large, uh, will be ready for for the holiday season and the demand they're about to see? Yeah, absolutely, they will be. Um, so we do anticipate that the retail availability of certain items might be tighter than in the past. But you know, want to stress that there is product. So there is product on the shelves. There is product for consumers to buy. Consumers might just have to be flexible. So you might need to be flexible in terms of the model or the brand or that kind of thing. Um, that is what we are saying. So there is lots of product out there, but those that shop early will increase their chance of getting exactly what they want. And certainly in some categories, we will see you know shortages more so than in others. What are some of the products that, that we're seeing that there's uh, specific issues with? Seasonal accessories, some uh, handbags, shoes, bike parts, some electronics, and then, of course, toys. I believe that the Toy Association uh, put out a news release a couple of weeks ago talking about toy shortages. The shelves here at the toy shop of Peterborough on Hunter Street are pretty full. But owner Jean Grant says they're experiencing shortages and other problems when it comes to some products. The biggest shock came last week when I tried to order Pokemon cards, which is a mainstay, and I was told there would be no more Pokemon cards because each package needs a foil card and the foil paper is not available. And so a lot of those products. Um, they are sourced from overseas. So whether it's the whole product themselves or a component of the product, what we are seeing, um, we live in a global society. And so for many of those products, parts are often sourced overseas. And so when you think of anything that might come from overseas or a component of that product, you can start to understand how broad some of these you know, shortages or delays might be. Can these problems be harder on small businesses with less overhead than big box stores? I had imagined spending more money to get products and faster isn't as easy as some of the bigger retailers. I think that's probably a fair statement, but I certainly don't want to paint all retailers with the same brush. Um, certainly larger retailers might have more ability in terms of ordering earlier, increasing their inventories, diversifying their supplier base and their product mix, but certainly smaller retailers could do that as well. But those are all of the kinds of things that retailers have had to do. And, you know, we always say that retailers have really been planning for this since the start of the pandemic. They were mindful that these challenges were coming. And so, um, you know, they are experts uh, in in, in um, supply chain, um, you know, um, mechanisms. And so they have worked very hard to put a lot of contingency measures in place over the past many months to deal with some, some of the difficulties that we're seeing right now. So what about us, the consumer? The Retail Council of Canada did their annual holiday shopping survey and polled over 2,500 Canadians on what their plans are. Our survey shows that 30% of Canadians will begin their holiday shopping prior to early November. And so some of them are doing that um, shopping right now. Um, the busy, busiest holiday shopping uh, days will be Black Friday, uh, Cyber Monday, and then Boxing Day is the third busiest. And so because consumers um, experienced challenges last year with some items being out of stock, um, long delivery times and shipping delays, I remember hearing about that a lot last year, that has all really motivated them to start shopping earlier. Sounds like Canadians will need to be patient. Shop early and shop local if you can. I'm Dave McIver with Global News Radio 770 CHQR. You know, there's certainly been no shortage of Halloween candy available to us, but I wonder if people have noticed shortages of other products. Yeah, and I mean, all eyes, and that's kind of the focus, the holiday mm -hmm. season, and 
so many things that you can't get here. I'm, you want to support local. I don't want to get into that whole song and dance, but there are certain things that you have to order. That's the, yeah. just the fact of, yep. of where we are in 2021. Yeah, so maybe a little further ahead, but to that point, you know, even Halloween stuff for me, I wanted to get a six foot tall skeleton, but in Amazon had them for like 20 or 30 bucks at some point. Um, and there's been a, been a shortage. Yeah. I can't get it till November 10th. We've heard, that's not going to help you very much. No. We've heard shortages of costumes too. A lot of retailers are just using what they had left over from last year. And when they do get their costume order, it'll be after Halloween again, and they'll be keeping it for 2022. So certainly starting to see shortages of, of some things and moving towards Christmas as people start to buy, you know that it's, it's going to, it, there will be an effect for sure of this supply chain change. Supply chain issue that we've certainly been hearing. Friday, about. we're ready for the weekend. <laughs> You're not uh, kidding. So yeah, if you've had any issues getting something that yeah. you, you really want to get your hands on, certainly let us know about it. It's Halloween weekend, and every Friday we have the opportunity to check in with Washington Bureau Chief for Global News, Jackson Prosco, to see what's making news stateside, and he joins us now. Good morning to you, Jackson. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. Uh, Going to get to some uh, important issues happening down south. But first, one of the most important as we get closer to Halloween, your favorite Halloween chocolate or candy. I say chocolate because you know where I'm coming from. Uh, when you were a kid or, or maybe as an adult, your favorite thing to get at Halloween. Oh, coffee crisp, for sure. The little Ooh. coffee crisps are my absolute favorite. And you can't get them in the States. So, oh, uh, really? you know, people mail them to me all the time. Oh, it's a nice light <laughs> snack, Jackson. We'll have to exactly. mail you some. We will keep that in mind. Yes, yeah, sure. Since it's so light, it won't cost us too much on, <laughs> on shipping. Okay, um, let's deal with the business at hand. Uh, President Joe Biden is in Europe, along with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and other world leaders. Climate change, obviously, on the agenda. What will Biden be pushing on this topic? Yeah, you know, on climate change, the U.S. is really trying to take a leadership role here. And it seems like there's an agreement between the U.S. and other G20 countries, presumably including Canada, to meet targets that would keep Earth's warming at 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is sort of the threshold that scientists say needs to be met to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. What that means effectively is steeper targets than under the Paris Accord. But of course, the problem here is that none of the G20 countries has yet been on track to meet the commitments under Paris. Not clear how they'll make even tougher targets than Biden is proposing here. Interesting for sure. We'll be watching that, uh, what's happening with Biden as well as our prime minister, obviously, as they move through these talks. Uh, speaking of Joe Biden, though, how's his agenda faring right now and, and why is, are his numbers continuing to slide, Jackson? Yeah, two words, not well. Uh, his numbers continue to slide for a whole bunch of reasons, in part because his agenda is really faltering. And so that's hurting him with sort of people on the far left of the party. And, you know, when it comes to those who are maybe in the middle, uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, for example, has really hurt him. The resurgence of the pandemic, which was a signature issue that he promised to get under control, that has hurt him as well. Uh, what it comes down to, of course, is that Democrats only have 50 votes in the Senate and you need every single one of them in line to get things done. So Biden and the more progressive wing of the caucus came out and proposed this very ambitious $4 trillion agenda that did things like finally make the U.S., the final country of the wealthy nations to have paid parental leave, for example, except one or two senators were not on board with that more moderate members of the caucus that has tanked the agenda and it is hurting Biden badly. Not getting the support. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, you talk about these dollars uh, being thrown around, you know, he's, he's putting the effort in, but needs some support. What does he have to do differently to, to get the, the, the folks on his side that need to cast those votes and make things happen? 
Yeah, essentially what he's had to do is compromise. So scale back the amount of money that they want to spend. Uh, the new proposal is around $1.75 trillion. Oh, so that also means uh, saying bon voyage to some of the key promises that Biden made. So again, things like paid leave are now hanging in the balance. And that was a signature promise of his. So it kind of seems like they've ended up in a place where no one is really happy with what they're getting here. This is something that affects us here in Alberta as well, but there have been ongoing oil industry hearings. What's the latest from those? Yeah, this took place yesterday, and essentially what Democrats who run the committee were trying to do was uh, sort of aim for a repeat of the big tobacco hearings of the 1990s when executives showed up, lied about what they knew about the longstanding impacts of their product, and then were later held to account for that through the courts and through big cash settlements. So we saw the heads of the big oil companies, you know, Exxon, Chevron, Shell, testify yesterday. Essentially, the way they message this is that they are fully aware of the impacts of burning fossil fuels on climate change. They fully acknowledge that yes, they have a role to play and that their products have a role to play in the warming of the earth, where they sort of dodged and deflected was their past knowledge of that. And of course, there's a growing body of research uh, that suggests that you know oil companies as far back as the 1960s and 1970s knew about the impacts of burning fossil fuels, worked to conceal it, worked to deflect from it. And essentially, these oil industry CEOs, when pressed on their past actions, essentially said, well, look, the science has evolved over the past few decades. And so essentially, we're in a place now where we acknowledge it don't worry about the past and we're seeing a lot of parallels between what we're hearing from the energy industry down south and what we did from big tobacco can we draw that parallel safely yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was certainly the goal of the hearing yesterday. And in fact, that that example was brought up numerous times by politicians who said, don't do what big tobacco did and sit here and lie. Clearly, the oil industry executives knew better than to do that. And again, they were quite forthcoming about the real world current understanding of climate change, where things got a bit fuzzy with sort of their own past actions. And they really tried to deflect from any role they might have had in the past about confusing the public or sowing doubt about the role of fossil fuels and climate change to prolong their use. Jackson, last question uh, before we let you go on your Halloween Friday. Uh, <laughs> this one, a, a, a story that affects us here in Canada as well, or that has the attention of Canadians, an ex-Canadian forces reservist, Patrick Matthews, sentenced to nine years in jails. Is that, is that one getting much play down in the U.S.? You know, not a ton of play in the U.S., except in the area, of course, uh, Richmond, Virginia, where this alleged plot was to have taken place. But uh, certainly, I think it shows the vigor with which with prosecutors are willing to go after people accused of plotting dom domestic terrorist acts inside the United States. Uh, and it really sort of shows this, this type of uh, effectively homegrown extremism, in other words, far-right extremism, remains the number one threat here in the United States. That's something the FBI and Homeland Security have said time and time again. And it's plots exactly like the one that Matthews was convicted of that are on their radar. Mm. Okay, one last Halloween question. We're taking it back to the different question we've been asking about, you know, Halloween movies, not the newest and latest, but can you think back uh, as a child or an early teen of that one Halloween movie that scared the heebie-jeebies out of you and you, you know, can't get out of your mind? Oh, you're putting me on the spot yeah, on Friday, and I honestly don't know if I have an answer for you. I know. I don't remember one specifically either. For me, it's just anything Stephen King still terrifies me year-round, pretty much. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Funny enough, I wanted to rewatch Misery this weekend, because that is just a fantastic movie. Excellent. Oh, that's yeah. that's spooky. That's an there we go. scare. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, some of these movies can be an escape with the times we're in, even though, True even though they're off the beaten path. Especially for you, Jackson. You <laughs> yeah. need it. You're doing you great go. work. I was going to say, I was worried you were going to ask me what I was dressing up as, and I was going to say tired reporter. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and have a, have a great weekend, Jackson.
Take care. That is Jackson Prosco, a Washington bureau chief for Global News. And I was uh, looking at the, some of the stats, by the way. Mm-hmm. Now over 760,000 deaths from COVID-19 in, in the U.S. US. Worst-case scenario prediction has by January 30th close to 1 million deaths. Wow. So uh, and I know that they're they're working and they're, they're trying to get the shots up. There's still some, you know, reticence from some of their... Big time. Uh, but, you know, still very much an issue down in the U.S. as well. It's the spookiest time of the year. So what better time to talk to a ghost hunter and paranormal investigator? That is Jeff Richards, who does such things. He's also an intuitive cast member on the other side, on APTN. And he joins us this morning. Good morning to you, Jeff. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good, good. We're going to talk about the other side, what it's all about, and uh, what's it like to work on such a unique project. We'll get there in a sec, but we want to bring things local. And I know you have experience in the city of Calgary, so I want to talk about one experience you had, because we talk about haunted locations in our city. Heritage Park, a very popular destination this time of the year, considered spooky, and I understand you had the chance to spend the night in the Prince House, which some people say is haunted. What was that like? You know, I would agree with those people because the the energy that I I felt in the Prince House was incredible. I actually had set up an experiment uh, that night. I was in the house by myself. You know, there was no one else there. We had cameras monitoring the whole thing. And then, of course, the Heritage Park security sort of watching to see if anybody was coming up and, you know, knocking on windows (laughs) and trying to spook me throughout the night. But uh, none of that happened. What did happen is I set up an experiment using a music box. And I had been hearing footsteps above me all night. I had at one point had an object that seemed to be lobbed down the stairs at me, a doorknob from one of the upstairs rooms uh, of the Prince House. And all the while, I was uh, communicating with what I think is the spirit of uh, one of uh, one of Prince's wives. Um, so, you know, the, the experiment using the music box, I basically asked them to, uh, to use like, sort of this wind-up music box as a signal. And I didn't expect anything to come of it, of course, but uh, at, at one point... They did. I, I heard this music box sort of playing from the depths of the house, and at that moment, I uh, I actually left the house. <laughs> I got out of there, dropped the camera, ran out, and went back to stay at a very comfortable hotel. <laughs> so I think I would have done the, one same. Of the only You know, it's one of the only places that I've ever done an, a lockdown, like an overnight lockdown, in where I didn't stay through the entire time. Really? You know, the energy there was just, yes, it was, it was so... Uh, like it was just it was it was all over me it, it was it was seemingly to be aggressive they definitely didn't want me kind of prowling around there in the home uh you know outside of normal visiting hours and and i don't think they were quite um you know okay with what we were doing so it, it was definitely an energy that was trying to force us it was emma prince actually wow. um one of uh, one of peter prince's wives who passed away i believe of uh of uh, i don't recall exactly what what took her life but uh she tragically passed away, and, and she still seems to reside in the Prince House to this day. That gives me goosebumps just to hearing you talk about it. Jeff, I mean, a lot of people are probably sitting at home going, yeah, whatever, that's a lot of baloney. Of Were you a believer before you got involved with the other side? You know, one of our number one tools is skepticism. Like As investigators, we have to go in and be skeptical of the claim. We have to be skeptical of the stories that we're hearing. And then we have to be skeptical of what we are seeing and hearing ourselves. Because, of course, we're human beings. Minds can play tricks on us. You know, we can hear sounds in old abandoned buildings that are coming from wind and creaky floorboards and not a spirit. But, uh, you know, for me personally, you know, I, I came in originally as a skeptic to the Prince House because 
the story itself is very classic. You know, we people see sort of the specter at the top of the steps um, of the lower level of the house at a specific point. You know, it, it's very sort of cliche haunted house. And the Prince House does look like a classic Hollywood haunted house. Mm-hmm. So um, I was incredibly skeptical. And I, I remain so with every single case that we investigate. But over the course of time, I've learned that that skepticism isn't always rewarded <laughs> a lot of the time um you know we see the the evidence and it takes the skepticism and it pushes it right out the window so i would say skeptical um you know stay stay that way continue having sort of a mind about things but at the same time understand and appreciate that these things you know they are very very real so i would say yes i was a skeptic originally all right, we have 30 seconds left, really tight for time. We could hear some uh, ghost stories all day, Jeff, because it's tis the season. But before we let you go, the other side. Who is the other side for, and uh, what are people going to get from it? The other side's really for anybody who's interested in the paranormal. Now, we look at the paranormal from an Indigenous perspective. Uh, so we, we tour with an elder. We, we go through traditional ceremony uh, during the show. But it, it really does look at haunted Canadian hotspots, and we just try to find out the real history. What's going on? Is there something happening? And occasionally we do catch something really spooky. So I would encourage everyone, if you if you have an interest in the paranormal, check it out on APTN. Love it. APTN.ca slash the other side. Thanks so much, Jeff. Always love talking to you. You're very welcome, guys. Have a great Halloween. You too. Happy Halloween. Jeff Richards, paranormal investigator and intuitive cast member of The Other Side on APTN. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.